When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. We are here to talk about Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger style investing, sometimes known as value investing. Indeed. We call it rule one investing sometimes because mm-hmm. rule number one is don't lose money. And that becomes the focus point of your entire investing style mm-hmm. is to be so sure that the thing you're putting your money into is going to be bigger and better and more valuable than 10 years that you're very comfortable you won't lose money. And that is kind of to the subject of today's today's discussion. Absolutely. And let's just stay, what is it called? Continuous continuity from last time. We talked about Vista Outdoor last time ask people to send us emails we got some great emails from listeners who know about the outdoor industry so thank you and you did a bunch of research dad which was awesome Mm -hmm. so we have things to say about vista or you do anyway uh, which i'm really excited to hear but there's news happening right now and we both thought we were talking before we started recording we both thought that this news is important enough that we should get into it and talk about it now when it's timely and then we'll get to Vista next time um, or the time after that. Who knows, guys? <laughs> but it's coming. We, we The goes. work has been done, so it will be mentioned. So, some work has been done <laughs> and it's one of those companies where some work has been done and we we find ourselves still not really clear about what this company's worth. So this I will mean, be very ain't that the I way? Think. And I'm yeah, really yeah, excited sure. to hear that because <clears throat> I feel like a lot of the time I'm telling you that I'm not sure about something and you tell me how sure you are. So I really like <laughs> hearing about a company that you're not so sure about. But like I said, let's get to that um, a little bit later. So all of you who were being lazy about your For research sure. on Vista Outdoor, you know, the dog ate our homework, go have another week or another two weeks and check it out but let's talk about what's happening literally as we record this we're recording this on friday march 10th and silicon valley bank has just collapsed and we felt we could not chat about investing or money without talking about this what what may be not that big of a deal but maybe a big deal and i will say like as a venture capital attorney This is a very big deal in the venture capital emerging companies startup world. Silicon Valley Bank is threaded into most deals, most investments, most startups bank there. I just looked on their website and they said they have 44% of all startups banking with them, startups and healthcare companies, small healthcare companies banking with them which is just 
kind of exactly what I expected, considering oh boy, how many of my clients banked with them. So um, many lessons in this one. Yeah. This is, um, is going to be very I mean, they had for everybody. They had a, an office in Boulder. They had a bank in Boulder. Like, I knew them. So it's 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 a tough one it's like it feels a little bit personal and I know a lot of people are worried about their money right now and worried about their businesses and that's why to me this goes much further than just a smallish bank has collapsed which is maybe how some people will read it but the reason this is front page headlines is that this smallish bank um is part of the fabric of so many growth companies that we talk about and that we use. So this, this is a big one. Yeah. And it's not just any bank, right? It, right. Because of everything Danielle's saying, it's a bank that on hindsight is probably seriously guilty of hubris. That is the people who run this bank didn't know what they didn't know and also believed that they knew things that simply weren't true. And one of the things that it appears that they thought they knew is that everything in Silicon Valley is just going to keep going up yeah. and the money's just going to keep coming in. And as a result, they made, I mean, for such a high tech, you know, futuristic area, these guys made the lowest tech dumb move Oh, what are you talking money. about? Oh my gosh. I mean, they don't you just you just don't just go out and fail. I mean, the bank in order to fail had to had to basically lend money at interest rates that were so low that as the uh as the Fed started raising interest rates, um the value of the bonds that they were holding, in other words, they they took all these billions of dollars, like $190 billion of depositor money. This is from startups, venture capitalists, all this guy, wealthy people in Silicon Valley. They took all this money and they have to do something with it yeah. in order to generate a profit. Yeah. And so what they, wanted, what they want to do with it is put it into something that's very safe um, and will produce a return that's higher than the return that they're paying out in... Uh, payments to people who, have, who are banking there. Well, and what you just described right. is what typical, that's what banks, that's like the business of banks. That's what banks typically do. That's what banks do. And, and you know, I would be surprised stuff, if that's what Silicon Valley Bank did. Oh, it's absolutely what they did. Really? hundred freaking percent exactly what they did. They, they lent a huge bunch of money out in to very low, relatively low paying interest rates, relatively low paying interest rate bonds. So the money was quite secure. <clears throat> this little plan had made banks money for a lot of years and, and had made them money for a lot of years. And they didn't really see any downside to it. But something major happened that hadn't happened to these bankers before. And that is the Federal Reserve raised interest rates and raised them fast. So banking rates went from a Fed funds rate of zero um, just a year ago to currently almost 5%. Mm -hmm. And that meant that a lot of people who had money in the Silicon Valley Bank and were receiving very little for it decided to take it out of the Silicon Valley Bank and put it someplace where it made 5%. Yeah. We've been doing this. We've been doing exactly the same thing, except we're doing it with brokerage accounts. We're just 
we're going, okay, well, the heck with it. We're not going to try to put money into a dividend producing stock here that may go down, right? That's some strategy some people do. We don't do that, but let's say we did. Um, we're not going to just leave it sitting in cash and have the have have it in a let's say a, an institutional bond fund that pays two percent. Mm-hmm. We dawned on us a few few months ago. Hey man, we could just buy T bills with this. The short term T bill rate. Let's just ladder a bunch of T bills right that have different expiration dates, so that new money's always coming in. We can always roll out the old money, and we're making five percent. Totally, yeah. We absolutely did that. Uh huh. So it just happened that we weren't taking money out of a banker's hands, but all of those people at who were putting money into Silicon Valley Bank, particularly if you're running a startup and you're watching how much money your money's being, you know, is making on on just interest rates, you just pulled it out and went and bought T bills. Yeah. So the money went straight from Silicon Valley Branch Bank into a brokerage account with Interactive Brokers or or Schwab or somebody like that. And then that money immediately bought T-bills and got 4 or 5%. And boom, Silicon Valley Bank is sitting there going, uh, whoa, hang on. We have to give you your money back when you require it. Mm-hmm. And so weeks ago, they started handing back money. Well, where did they get it? They had already lent out all of those deposits, except for what are the required you know, cash accounts that the mm-hmm. FDIC requires. They already lent that all out. So in order to pay these deposits off or to pay off these withdrawals, they had to get the money back. Well, oops, big oops. They're sitting there in two-year bonds that they have a 2% interest rate on. And Mm. now the two-year bond has a 5% interest rate. So let's say you put a million dollars into a bond and it's paying you $20,000 a year, 2%. And you want to sell it it's still got most of its time yet to run. And now the market pays $50,000 for a, for a, a bond like that, mm-hmm. right? 50000 on that million dollars. So if you want to sell off what you're getting $20,000 on, you're not going to sell it for a million dollars. You're going to sell it for like, you know, $500,000. Yeah. And you just lost five hundred grand. And if you're a banker, you have to do it. Now, you can choose which poison you want to sell, but you have to do it. You have to go give those people their money. And yeah. so they took loss after loss after loss after loss until they got wiped out. And then just they like just that. tried to issue new bonds just recently, I saw. Yeah, I think they um, did that Wednesday. They were trying to ra- yeah, they were trying to raise money really quickly, which didn't work out. And my question is, though, so are you saying that this has nothing to do with the investment Silicon Valley Bank made in what I would describe as risky startups. So this was no, a this it, was a traditional didn't. banking collapse. Yes. This is a classic traditional banking collapse. A la 1930. 1931. This is it's a wonderful life. This is a run of a sorts on the bank, not because Mm. of people being afraid the bank doesn't have any money, but because all of a sudden the interest rates are way better for a very safe investment someplace else. And you go, you know, watch, do you remember that movie, It's a Wonderful Life? We used to watch it at Christmas. 
I mean, we never really watched it at Christmas, but I have seen. Well, that's because you guys always wanted to watch Snow, Snow, Snow. Oh, the best dad. The stupidest song ever created. (laughs) White Christmas. Well, I liked watching It's a Wonderful Christmas. And in this, or It's a Wonderful Life. And it's in this thing, you know, Jimmy Stewart takes over this bank, this Bedford bank, just as he's going to go on his honeymoon. And there's a sudden bank run that starts the whole thing off that this guy Potter is a mean guy and he, he doesn't care about the growth of Bedford. And, mm-hmm. um, and so he's trying to, so he, there, a bank run gets created. I forget why it starts, but essentially what happens is everybody wants their money back all at once. Mm-hmm. And people don't understand that the bank doesn't have a pile of hundred dollar bills sitting in the vault. Mm-hmm. It's their money that they gave the bank to deposit is not in the bank. It gets lent out, and that's how the bank makes a living. That's how they make a profit. So in the in the it's a wonderful life. Jimmy Stewart's begging people. He's got this whole speech that he gives about you know we we got to stick together here because if this goes down if if the the building and loan fails then there won't be anybody who's going to lend you money to go buy a house. Mm-hmm. And it's like, people don't get it. It's like, well, you're just lending money to go buy a house. Well, the money came from someplace. It came from all these depositors putting money into the building and loan. And now we have money to lend you to go buy a house. And so the the nature of the growth of that whole community and It's a Wonderful Life is dependent on Jimmy Stewart convincing people not to take all their money out for Christmas and not to panic just just to take enough money out for what you need for Christmas and he gives this whole speech about it this whole wonderful speech right and then we go toward the end of the movie and you know I mean this is way back when and this is a small bank but his uncle who's a little bit got dementia gets a very important chunk of money from somebody who's paying off loans Hmm. and forgets to put it into the bank and it's a big sum of money for that point in time and now when people come to the bank the bank has no cash it was planning on that coming in it would have cash now it has no cash and they're into another bank run created by fear and so this is as as a bank starts to have problems paying you off if they take a little bit of time it's likely you're going to tell somebody you're a little bit of trouble getting your money out of there. Yeah, yeah. And that's what happened in a wonder in a wonderful life. They started running to the bank, and and the bad guy was encouraging people to do it because it was going to cause a drop in real estate prices, and Potter was going to buy up the whole thing at cheap prices, and Jimmy Stewart stopped him. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a really cool thing to realize when you when you take a look at a bank like this that the money's not there yeah well so i've what i of course think immediately is like what makes this bank different from any other smallish bank and i think i just found two factors in this reuters article about it so one they say um due to the higher interest rates there are way fewer ipos right now and companies are starting to be more cautious about going public um and so because of that they're saying there wasn't the same influx of money uh, into but let's, Silicon let's look Valley. at that just for a second yeah so when 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 reporters write things like that what what they're doing in there I think they fail to realize it is they're basically saying these banks are a Ponzi scheme 
they have to kind have of money in a way from a little bit people. they're expecting the money yeah. to come in you kind just of just like you just said money. like what the uncle or whatever forgot to put the money yeah, in. the uncle forgot to put the money in yeah right when somebody paid off but the class this is a classic pyramid scheme would be that we don't have the money to pay you unless we get new and uh new clients you know so we need more venture capital more new clients in Silicon Valley. That way our Ponzi scheme will continue to work. Now, it's not literally a Ponzi scheme, but when they start to say that the bank needs to have new money in order to pay off old money, that's not true. That is just not true. That is a pyramid scheme. The bank has to have reserves on hand that should match any reasonable expectation for the money going out if the bank is being prudent in where it's putting the deposit money. In other words, if it's and managing the reasonable expectations capital, for money going out. Well, right. Yeah. But I mean, it's not like this, the federal reserve wasn't making it pretty clear for the last year that they're going to be raising interest rates. And it's like bank yeah. management is really critical. And that's yeah. the other point I wanted to make is as we're talking here, what we're talking about here is very different about investing in banks than many other kinds of, of things we can develop or we can invest in. We like to say that we like a company that's so simple an idiot can run it. Mm -hmm. An idiot cannot run a bank. If you have an idiot running a bank, they can do this to it and wipe you out. This, I mean, it, this is a complete wipeout. This bank is. This bank could go away. Because they may have bank, lost more money than they have. I think have. has gone away. I think this uh, bank has gone right away. Right before we started recording, it was reported that the FDIC has taken over all the assets and transferred it into a new entity completely, which it will mm -hmm. then liquidate all assets, not just deposits, of Silicon Valley Bank in order to pay off depositors and creditors. Holy so that's Christmas. what happens when a bank fails. And I have to say, I am deeply impressed and pleased to see that our government has learned from failures of the past and has acted so swiftly in this situation because i think by doing that they have um stemmed the bleeding what do you call that staunched the bleeding staunched um stemmed i got you you, you yep. know stopped let's use that word stopped the bleeding okay. to some extent Bril that's a brilliant point danielle because i'm typically very critical of government involvement in anything as it's usually incompetent, but this is not usual. This is this is the FDIC, and they have uh, they have proven themselves extremely capable and extremely competent and completely rational, and they do the right thing. And man, alive, they do it quick. Yeah, I mean, this bank was in trouble for about two like two days. Visibly it's been in trouble two days. for about two days. Yeah. yeah, and they're they're gone. Now, as an investor, if you owned Silicon Valley Bank stock you very likely could be wiped out. Yeah. This, this could be that they just simply have screwed the bank up so badly that they don't have enough money to cover their liabilities. And if that's yeah. the case, then they're gone forever. And the, and the last people in line, in case you didn't know this, the last people in line for a situation of getting paid right here are the shareholders. Mm -hmm. Okay, right above the shareholders are the bondholders and and I think right around in there someplace, I'm not sure legally who gets the rights to the money, but if you've got more than $250,000 sitting in that bank, you are way down the list because you're not secured. 
Yeah, there the FDIC insures two hundred fifty thousand, right? Either per person or per account, and I per actually account. don't remember per account. Okay. Yeah, because we have we have something like ten or twelve accounts with our banking group for your in fund in order to spread it. For no, uh-uh, the fund is different, whole different place. Oh. Uh, the fund's got massive insurance policy on it, but the uh, the banking just our cash flow, right? And so we have like I think ten accounts just to make sure that no one account has more than two hundred fifty thousand in it. Hmm. And and at least Truist Bank does this, and I think most of them do, is that every night they'll pool all of these accounts under our name, and then get us an overall interest rate that's better because we're putting a chunk of cash in hmm. that's much much larger than any single one two hundred fifty thousand dollar account. But if you've got more than two fifty out there in an account, and your bank fails then you're just another creditor. Yeah. You're somebody the bank owes money to. And there are people or businesses that the bank owes money to who have a contract that has collateral. Mm -hmm. Secured lenders are always paid first, then unsecured lenders. And in this situation, people who deposit money in a bank more than 250,000 uh, I'm sure legally there is a very clear description of where those people fall in the ranking because this stuff has all been sorted. But, and that's not my area of expertise, but my guess is that they are somewhere around the unsecured lender or maybe below the unsecured <laughs> lender. So. Uh, because you, likely. because as a, but I mean, to me, that makes this all like when you think about it logically, dispassionately, it makes sense. Um, Somebody who's a lender who has lent money with the intention of receiving it back at a certain date and has secured that money with collateral and the bank has or the business has agreed to that contract, they would be paid first. They're, they're the ones that have uh, had the, the company agree to the most security they can put around that lending as possible. Then comes the lenders who did not make that kind of agreement with the company that did not ask for collateral, did not get collateral. And those people would be next. They did not receive as much security. And then after that, you have people who in the case of a bank have deposited money. And essentially we take on that risk as people depositing money in an entity of our choice. It didn't used to be federally insured at all. It was always at our own risk. Um, right. And so I would my guess is that that's below a, uh, an unsecured creditor. And then after that, and again, it makes logical sense. The owners of the business would get paid last of all because the owners of the right. business gain all the profit. Owners of the business get the upside. The owners of the business get the downside at the end of the day. Right. And shareholders yep. are owners. So, yep when you run through it like like that very dispassionately it makes sense why that's how we've structured our laws around um dissolution of businesses super true when you think about so it like oh us, man these you know? poor depositors like it starts to get a lot start to feel a lot more unfair and i wonder what will happen in this case because just because things are the way they are doesn't mean they're going to be that way in the future so things can change well, think about what we're just seeing here. This this scenario is going to play out and is being played out 
in every bank in the country. This isn't yeah. unique to Silicon Valley. Yeah. This scenario is real, real simply, again, that the bankers have lent money out, or rather the bankers have taken in your deposit money and they pay you a certain amount for it from zero to some interest rate in a, in a savings account. Or negative. <laughs> or it's even possibly <laughs> negative. And then all of a sudden, here's this 5% return you can get for putting your money in a treasury note that's completely safe. Mm-hmm. And people are pulling their money out. Mm-hmm. First sophisticated people, and then gradually there'll be less sophisticated people. They're pulling their money out and putting it somewhere safe. Now, the only real good response a bank can have is to raise the amount of money it's willing to pay you. That's that's what they can do. But if you've been camped out putting a ton of money in a savings account or in a checking account just because nobody was paying interest anywhere, which I think happened a lot. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you got a place to put it that it's making money and you're going to take it out of that checking account and stick it over there somewhere else. And that's all money this bank can no longer use. So it's it's going to happen everywhere across the country that the banks are going to see depositors moving money elsewhere. And the banks are going to have to have a response to that. Yeah. And boy, I'll tell you, the response in the market today was sell all the banks. Yeah. Just uh, there's more to say. I, I, I want to say some stuff about publicly traded banks. Um, maybe we could get into that in the next episode. Sure. Now, while we're, we're kicking this around, uh, the real big banks, J.P. Morgan, uh, they they went down, but they're they're starting to go back up again today. Yeah, that's that's the the other be. interesting component to that. So let's talk about publicly traded banks and the size of banks next time. Okay, maybe we'll get to, you know, uh, the VSCO or VS what is it Vista Vista Outdoors Vista, v- VSTO yeah. yeah VSTO I don't know what it is. Um, We'll get there. I promise we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we will. And while we're working on getting there, we're going to go deeper and deeper into it. So I have a lot better idea. I wish I had a better idea than I have right now. What I know is it's an interesting company and they're going to split it. It's got two components to it that have nothing to do with each other. So it'll be a good split. And we're trying to figure out now, what is this thing worth? How would we really want to own this or either piece of this or whatever? So when we get around to talking about it, that'll be fun. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye. See you guys. Time to go play. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.